Welcome to another episode of Frank Warren's Heavyweight Podcast. I'm Adam Catterall, and it's always a pleasure to be in your company. So thank you so much for deciding to download yet another show. If this is the first time you've ever come across us, you can subscribe via iTunes. We are available on Acast. Hit the subscribe button, and you'll never miss out on any of the interviews that we bring you. We brought you some absolute blockbusters recently, and today's is right up there with one of the best. Funny, deep thinking, and very poignant at this time where a lot of people are suffering with everything that's going on with COVID-19. The man in question is Fred Siriex. You will have, of course, seen him on TV on many occasions, whether it be through first dates or whether it be with his new TV show with his friends Gordon Ramsay and Gino DeCampo. The guy is an absolute superstar and it's a pleasure to have him on as this week's guest. Let's get stuck straight in. Well, today's guest is a person that uh, has actually been in conversation in my house, Frank, on uh, a few occasions over the last uh, couple of weeks. One, my wife fancies him, and two, my mum fancies him as well, because he's obviously on the TV show with Gordon and Gino. He's on every single week, and last week, I don't know if you saw this, Frank, but he ended up getting naked and jumping into a swimming pool. So, you know what I mean? There might be a little... Our numbers this week for the podcast, Frank, might go through the roof, especially with my wife wanting to listen to it. <laughs> Well, yeah, that, that's all good. But at least he's already spoken for. He's got, he's got a young lady, so they're out of luck. I know, sure. I know, exactly that. We're, of course, talking about Fred Siriex, who joins us here. Fred, how are you, mate? You good? I'm very good. I'm very, very good. Thank you for this uh, very kind introduction. <laughs> I'm only telling you the really truth, mate. I really liked it. I'm only telling you the truth. Say hello to your lovely wife and your I mom. will, mate. I will. Tell them I'm available. <laughs> Before we talk about Fred's career and where he's at in the world right now, Frank, talk, talk to me about meeting Fred, because I know that you like to eat and drink and, and socialise and be and have a party every now and again. Is that how you met or is, or is there a different way? Because I know he's a big fan of the boxing as well. Well, he's a massive fan of the, box, of the boxing, as, as uh, most people know in boxing. But uh, we met through a mutual friend of ours, which, who is Mark King, level 42. He's a really good friend of mine. And uh, he uses uh, he, he uses the, the Hilton Hotel, the uh, Galvin's the windows, which is right at the top of the Hilton. Got the most magnificent views, and more importantly, most magnificent food and wines. And uh, that's where we met. And we've been there a few times after some of the shows that we've been to at the uh, Royal Albert Hall. And I think we went there after, if I remember rightly, Fred, was it after um, at Mark's birthday party? Exactly. Uh, a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, we had a great time there. Do you remember that concert? I was so impressed with Mark because uh, ah. Level 42, 42 has been going for so long. Uh, but it's testament to how professional and how good he is and how much he appeals to his fans because the Royal Albert Hall was completely jam-packed. There was 3,500 people there. And, you know, to be able to do that after uh, 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 such a, a long career, it's, it's incredible, I think. Well, he's a marvellous musician, Mark, and he's, and without a doubt, one of the best, if not, well, certainly one of the top, top best bass players in the world, a magnificent musician. And, and it's real, really worth going to see Level 42 live. They're a fantastic band. I think they're on, they're on tour again this year or so, I believe. Well, they were supposed to be on tour, but um, a lot of these, uh, <laughs> the venues, you know, have postponed the dates because uh, 
obviously, of the coronavirus yeah. outbreak. So everything has been postponed for him. How has coronavirus, Fred, affected uh, the restaurant trade? I know that, obviously, you, you, you're no longer at that particular restaurant that Frank's talking about there. You left there in December. But how, how has it affected the trade and everything at the moment? And, and, and will it recover? Well, look, I, I, I think that I don't have a, a, a crystal ball like most people, but uh, what's happened is that all restaurants, all bars, all hotels have had to close. Um, staff have been furloughed. Um, and, um, you know, there's question marks over when uh, restaurants will be able to open and when the hospitality industry will be able to start again. Now, I've just read some reports today that some uh, businesses have started to reopen, like KFC or Pret. Uh, which is good news. Uh, in, in saying that, you know, I read other reports where um, big pub owners are just going to be a little bit careful as to when to reopen because social distancing may still be uh, enforced by them. And they don't feel like, for example, having people uh, serving uh, customers with their mask on or having to remove tables, for example, like we've seen in Hong Kong and other countries. I think that the... Um, I mean, the hospital industry is very resilient uh, and, and very, um, you know, there's a great uh, uh, a philosophy to, to adapt to changing conditions. But I think that it will impact the industry in terms of, for example, the, the, the amount of staffing uh, that will be in restaurants, because um, it, it all depends on how everything starts again, whether it's a big boom and everybody goes en masse to restaurants or not. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, I think there will be a lot of changes within the operation, within the number of staff, uh, price. I think that everything is going to change. And I think we will see that quite rapidly. It is going to be interesting to see how all that do does develop and whether people, like you say, have the confidence uh, to get themselves back out in public. Uh, it's where they're going to have the money as well. You know, so many people are going to be out of work. Businesses are, businesses are going to be hard hit. I mean, everybody's, what's going on now with this COVID-19 has affected everybody. And yeah. for you know, for for people to get there, get back to get back to work again, to able to have a disposable income, all those things, it's going to be a big challenge. Our industry, uh, the entertainment industry that we're in, you know, in selling tickets and so forth. How long is it before we're going to be able to get, as they they term, mass gatherings? And what's the limit going to be on those mass gatherings? Gatherings. I, I can see. Certainly, we're talking about football at the moment being behind closed doors, and I can see some boxing being behind closed doors doors to get it going again i think it's gonna be a long time before we see people in in significant numbers being allowed to mix again yeah yeah no i think you're right frank and especially you know as you know a vaccine is about 12 months to 18 months away we are learning about the vaccine as we go people can get reinfected twice um and, and there has been lots of uh, uh, different findings about this particular virus which we did not understand and which for me is completely crazy when you think about uh, the government policy at the start of this pandemic when herd immunity was discussed uh, and, and in fact it seems completely completely mad to have gone this way knowing what we know now yeah. um, but you know talking about the, the specific business of boxing I was thinking about you the other day Frank when you called me to, to, to take part in your podcast and whether there is a way maybe to uh, get fighters uh, to fight for world titles or European titles and, and national titles and, and do it within closed doors, but still being able to generate revenue for the fighters, of course, um, through pay-per-view and, um, 
and find a way to also excite the crowds um, at home uh, uh, to watch and, uh, and, and be part of uh, the journey of, of these fighters. Uh, I certainly want to see Tyson Fury fight again. And, and you know, how are we going to make this happen? You know, that, that is the question, really. That's what collectively as an industry, you know, in sport we have to do. We all got to get our heads together. And obviously with the sound advice from the uh, medical professionals to, to give us some sort of timetable when they can give us a timetable when we can do this. But um, it, it's, you know, Tyson, I, of course I want to see Tyson and all the big names back in action. But I also want to see these the youngsters and the ones, you know, the guys who are starting out and the guys who are mid-range who are not got into the big money yet get back into the ring. Because, you know, probably like, you know, the, the waiters and the people working in the kitchens and so forth, they're being affected by this. You know, in your game, it's the same thing. We've got to just, you know, we've got to think about them. It's not just about the guys who are at the top of the tree. And it's very important that we, certainly as far as boxing is concerned, that we get this moving as soon as we get the green light. Because otherwise, I can see, I can see the sport taking a long, long time to recover from this unless we can be creative to ensure that it's got a profile still and we're getting it out at least on the screen so that people at home are being entertained by it. Yeah, I mean, entertainment is key. I mean, when I think, for example, of, I mean, you mentioned at the start of this podcast, Gordon, Gino and Fred, uh, the new program that we filmed in America and um, the, the way that people have received that program and the love that it got because it's about entertainment yeah. and people need to be entertained. They need to, to think about something else uh, 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 than uh, COVID-19 and, and all the trouble that, that they're having right now in their lives. So I think entertainment is very important and there is a place for it and, 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 and it's key to get people, you know, out of their mind, thinking about something else, make them laugh and uh, uh, take, them, take them momentarily somewhere else uh, where they can dream and, and life can be normal again. Yeah, exactly. 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 Fred, Fred exactly. what is... Um We'll obviously talk about the restaurant trade and you getting involved uh, as a young guy. But talk to me about boxing. Where, where, where does your love for boxing come from? Who were the people that you used to watch when you were a kid that got you going? Because we've seen you at so many shows recently. Well, um, you know, the time that I started to watch boxing was with uh, Marvin Nagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, uh, uh, Mike Tyson. Um, mm -hmm. And I've always wanted to box, but um, where I come from in France, and certainly my parents are not big fans of boxing. My dad thinks that uh, it gets your brain damaged, which obviously it does if you, uh, if you get punched too much. Uh, yeah. it, it's not so good for you, but I've always loved boxing. And uh, 13, 14 years ago, a friend of mine introduced me to a young guy who was a personal trainer who was doing uh, boxing. So... Um, I did a personal training session with him and I, and I really loved it, but I thought it was not going far enough. So um, I live in Peckham and I inquired about the gyms near where I am. So this is where I met Clinton McKenzie that uh, yeah. Frank knows very well. And um, I trained with uh, Clinton ever since. And uh, Clinton and I used to square it off on Saturday <laughs> and have, um, have sparring sessions. And we sparred up to 10 rounds and we were going toe to toe. <laughs> And um, knocked me down a few times, uh, got black eyes, broke my ribs. And uh, we were just squaring it off in the middle of the ring. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. But, you know, when I met Clinton, in a way, my life changed. And a lot of things changed because 
with boxing, it, 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 it's about that, that truth, that purity. Nothing yeah. is as, as truthful or pure as boxing. There is no lying in the boxing gym, and I like that. Um, it's about your confidence, about the self-belief, um, and it's about self-knowledge. Um, you know, when you're boxing, you've got to monitor your tank. You've got to know what you've got inside. If you haven't trained enough, you can talk as much as you want outside. Once you're in, if you're not good enough, yeah. even if you've trained enough, if you are with somebody who's better than you, but then if somebody's better than you, is how are you going to fail with them? Are you going to be uh, going down on your knees and beg for your life, or are you going to go down fighting? You know, and that is really what boxing is about, is that ultimate courage. And, 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 and that, sense of, uh, uh, that sense of understanding of self, which you cannot get in any other sports. Um, I mean, I train every day, you know, I mean, now, I mean, I've stopped sparring because I'm 48 and unfortunately I can't see the punches coming and landing <laughs> on my nose. So, uh, but uh, I still like it, you know, so every day I, I, I train, I shadow box, I, I do all sorts of uh, strength and conditioning exercises. Mm-hmm. And I've started to spar with my partner, Fruitcake. I mean, it's not like a proper spar, like I'm not landing any punches on her, of course, but uh, we play attack-defense, so she attacks and I defend. And uh, that allows me to move, to work on my defense. And, you know, when you think about workouts, you know, you can run, you can do all sorts of exercises, but in a way, for me, they're very boring because it's very one-dimensional. When I'm sparring, like I'm sparring in inverted comma with fruitcake, I have to think, I have to focus, I have to keep eye contact with her, and I have to really be on my game because even though she's not a, 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 an experienced boxer, she will land, and I don't want her to land at all. So this is taking me to a, a different place, and, and we, we spar about once a week like this. We go to the park, and we put the gloves on and stuff like that. And, and I'm thinking about how I'm going to move, how I'm going to defend, what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to have to spoil the fight and go and older because I can't take it anymore. And uh, it, it's really exciting. And that is uh, a training that you, you can't do that sort of training uh, in any other sports. No sports give you that feeling, that sensation, nothing. It's that focus and that sense of achievement because you really have to think about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And that is very special. It's funny you say that, Fred. Clinton McKenzie um, and I got, Clinton's a good friend, as you know. The fir- very first TV show I ever did, I think it's about 1981, and it was the only show that I did at the time was on BBC television against Steve Early for the, I think it's the British title back then. That was the very first TV show. So Clinton and I had a little special thing between us there, the fact that, you know, he was the fir- it was the first television show I'd done. And it was a fantastic fight, by the way. And he's a super guy, a lovely guy, really good, good boxing family, boxing family. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Clinton is amazing. I go to, to his gym still. And Clinton is um, 64, 65. And you should see the classes that he does in his gym. The man is a machine, he's an athlete. He's on a different level. Uh, he's so fit. And he's so young at art and um, he's been very, very inspirational for me, you know, and um, for me to be able to talk to Clinton about his fight, I remember him telling me about a fight, I don't remember who he was fighting, but uh, he was a 15 rounder back in the day and he was on his stool after the 14 round and he said to me, I got up and he said to me, I said to myself, I'm ready to die now. And um, he went and he won that round. And, you know, 
it, it, it's just a different ball game when you get into this mentality. And I think the principle of boxing and what I've learned of boxing, I applied in restaurant, I applied in customer service, I applied it in the work that I do in television. Um, and it's about, again, it's about the truth and that purity. And when you work with people, you want to be able to rely on them. You want to be able to trust them. And, 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 and what you get in a ring, you can transfer it into any area of your life. And, and when you have that, that sense of honesty, that sense of integrity within you, the people that are around you will want to be around you because they know that you are a man of your word. And that's what it's about. And that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. Because a lot of people can talk to you about lots of different things. But at the end of the day, do they deliver? Can you trust them? And that's what boxing is about. Yeah, it's right. And the most important thing is the discipline. Living that, that life where you, where you are truly disciplined. You, you know, you have to, there are no shortcuts. You know, I don't think there's any shortcuts in any walk of life. You can get by on talent up to a certain point, and after that, it's purely, purely all about discipline. Yeah. And if you're not, yeah, if you're I not putting 100% of it, you're never going to get it back. Yeah, I mean, talent and talent always get beat by uh, hard work at the end of the day. And uh, yeah. you can only go so far with talent. You, you, I think you can't go anywhere with talent. If you don't put the hard work in, it's not going to happen. And all the greats have said it, Mike Tyson, uh, Tyson Fury, Mohamed Ali, you know, it's all about that will and that desire to succeed. And uh, if you want it hard enough, if you work hard enough, you will get there. There's no doubt in my mind. So you've been over here now for, for quite a while, Fred. Do you miss anything about France? I've been here for 28 years, Frank. I'm 48. So I came here when I was 20. And, you know, when I was a teenager, Inside my head, I lived my life in English. I was talking in English, writing poetry in English, playing the air guitar and singing in English in front of the mirror. <laughs> and I just wanted to live my life in English. And that's why I came here. And uh, when I was 16, I went to this great catering college. Uh, I was there for four years and learned my craft there. And um, one of my fellow students there worked in the UK and he said, you should go to the UK and you should go to London. You know, you're going to love it. You know, you're the type of guy who's going to love the freedom and love the opportunities that there are uh, in, in the country. So I just took a one-way ticket. My, my parents were, were mad because they couldn't believe I was doing that. I just finished my, uh, my exams. I did not get the result yet. And, and I was off. I, were, I was off on a one-way ticket. And I never looked back. And um, I've been in London ever since. I, I, I went to work in New York for a while. Um, but London was calling me so hard that I had to come back. And, you know, it's not that I miss France because all my here, my children are here, they are British. Um, I, I dream in English. I, you know, it'd be very difficult for me to work in France and to speak French every day. But I have to say that when I go to France, I love the conversation I have with people. I love to go to markets and buy my oysters. And, um, you know, because it takes me back to the time when I was there. Yeah. But when you've been yeah. in this country for so long, like me, for example... It's strange. I go back to France and it's a bit like I'm a foreigner. <laughs> Even though I understand the French, I know who they are. I'm inside their skin. But in the same time, I can see myself like an out-body experience, if you see what I mean, because I've been here for yeah. so long. So I understand them as much as I understand the English, but I'm kind of in between. And um, it, it's, it's a lovely place to be. I love to be a foreigner here and I love to be a foreigner in France when I go there. 
How did you make the transformation into TV, Fred? What was the moment that were you approached or was it something that you were conscious about making that move? Well, you know, when you, I started a, um, uh, a charity to work with uh, disadvantaged kids about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was picked up by the BBC and other people and they wanted to film the kids that we had on the program. Um, then what happened is that I mean, very quickly, we realized that wasn't suitable. So then the BBC put a call out for kids to apply. And that was uh, the, the, the service program that I did with Michel Roux the first time I ever done TV. And then I did a few things here and there. Then first dates came along. And you know, when you start working in an industry as exciting and as creative as television, it gets very addictive very quickly. Yeah. And my personality is well suited to it because I like to do different things. I like, I've got crazy ideas and I want to realize them. The key is that everybody's got ideas and ideas are floating around in the air all the time. But the difference is the one that you can grab and you can actually uh, translate into action and, 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 come, and make come true. So um, all you have to do is find people who are um, like-minded and who are going to make it happen with you because just like everything else in life, you, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't get anything to happen without collaboration, without partnership. And yeah. I love that with television. You partner with different people and, and, and basically you have the genesis of an idea and somebody takes it a bit further, you take it a bit further, somebody else takes it, and then before you know it, you've got uh, uh, some great ideas that people love. But for me, you know, what's important is to work with um, the right people and to do quality. I don't want to do some um, crappy little program at 8 o'clock in the morning that nobody's going to watch. I want to do something that I'm going to be proud of, that my, my, my children are going to watch. I'm going to say, oh, my God, look at Daddy. Look what he's doing. Yeah. And uh, me, that's, that's, that's important. I want to do quality stuff that I can be proud of and I can look back on and think, wow, that was good. When you were making first dates then, did you know that it was yeah. going to be as big as it was? Because it went absolutely massive. No, uh, what was, for me, what was important when we started to work on first date is the people I'm going to be working with, yeah. uh, meeting the people from the channel, the producers, the directors, uh, meeting the other staff, because I wanted to assure uh, myself that um, I was going to work with good people who wanted to do good things. I don't want to be on television and make anybody look bad or, or, or laugh at people. Yeah. and laugh at the misfortune. So for me, that was important. Once I understood that was not the case and we were here to do good things because first aid is about capturing the moment that love is born and there's nothing more beautiful than that. And I wanted to be part of it. Then as long as you do your best and you know that the people around you are doing their best, then, you know, only good things can happen. And then, of course, you know, it's just like everything. You open a restaurant, you do a, a boxing show, you know, why is this one going to be successful and why another one is not? So you've got to really look at everything. So once you do a good show, you've got to look at your marketing, your promotion, your communication, and you've got to make sure that, that, that people actually enjoy watching the show, but they've got to know about it. Otherwise, nobody will enjoy it. And you've got to keep working at it. I mean, Coca-Cola, for example, you know, they still advertise. Yeah. You know, after all these years. And the reason why they do that is because if they don't, then people are going to drink Pepsi. So you've got to advertise. When you see a date going wrong, do you feel you need to get involved and help to create some chemistry between the two people? <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes, Frank, sometimes yes and sometimes, sometimes no. 
because, I mean, first of all, I can't leave people's life for them. And uh, the decision is theirs, and it's their choice at the end of the day. But sometimes people need a helping hand. I've seen a lot of people who have been traumatized by love. I think that when you believe in love, you've got to believe in pain. And uh, because once you have love, you're going to have pain. That's, that's, just, that's just part of the parcel. But some people have been so traumatized by love, and I don't mean a romantic love. It could be something that happened in their childhood, for example, or, or other situation in their lives. And they are so traumatized by it that suddenly, I mean, not suddenly, but they are very closed off. And they find it very difficult to open, even though the person in front of them is the right one. So uh, when we did the last uh, bit of filming, we had this uh, two guys, and one of the, they really like each other. One of them was really closed off because of that, because of trauma, past trauma in his life. And we discussed it very openly, and uh, hopefully that helped. But as much as it helped on the day, he's going to have to make an effort on a daily basis because he didn't get to where he was um, without time. So it took him time to get there, to get to this position where he was completely closed off. And it's going to take him time also to free himself from that kind of mental prison he's created for himself. And he's going to have to work at it every single day. A bit like people in sports work on their, uh, 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 their physical, you know, it's about conditioning of the body. You need to condition your mind. Mm -hmm. But we can all do this because it, 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 the way we are and who we are, it's a choice that we make. But this is the most difficult thing to do is to change or to become the person that you want to be because it takes time. And because it takes time, it can get boring and people get sidetracked. But as long as we've got that vision and we keep going uh, uh, forward and we keep working on it, then we'll be all right. And it, it will make us feel good. Are there any stories for first dates you, that could be broadcast that you, you can uh, tell us about? <laughs> you could have on the TV show? <laughs> Look, uh, there are so many stories, but I will tell you about one story uh, that will always make me laugh when I think about it. It was this young couple at the beginning, uh, one of the first episodes I ever filmed, actually the first one, and it was two dancers. They were very young, 22 or 23, and uh, they set eyes on each other and they liked each other straight away. There was chemistry there, there was fireworks, and it was so obvious for everybody. It was, it was great to see that in, immediate connection of two young people like that. And then um, they were talking about aphrodisiac and whether oysters was an aphrodisiac. And the girl <laughs> looked at him and she said, um, actually, oysters don't do it for me, but olives do. Let's order some. And then she was eating the oyster, looking at him, and it was just this chemistry. They kissed <laughs> in the air. It was incredible. It was great. I will yeah. always remember that, that day. <laughs> oh, the old aphrodisiac. That was that thing about was it the um the powdered rhinoceros horn. A friend of mine went to to Hong Kong and he had loads and loads of it and I asked him if it worked and he said no, he said I just kept charging Land Rovers. Julian, <laughs> <laughs> obviously this situation that we're in right now where where people are locked down. Um, I've no doubt there's either going to be a baby boom or a, di or, or a divorce boom in, in somewhere. So what are your top tips? What are your top tips for people to keep the romance alive during this, uh, during this lockdown? Look, I think that we have to take it day by day and as it comes. And every day, every day for me is a life. And every day I want to enjoy my life and have a good time and live my day like it's the last day. And uh, when I get up in the morning, I'm happy to get up. I'm alive. You know, I'm smiling. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. Maybe it's raining, but I'm alive. And 
And this is already the start of my day. And it's about creating happy thoughts um, and, and making sure that we keep these happy thoughts. With, because it is uh, Marcus Aurelius, the Greek philosopher, was saying that the quality of our life depends on the quality of our thoughts. And that's very, very important. And little things, you know, for example, in the morning, I went, I went to exercise this morning. I was very tired, but I did a different routine than I did yesterday because yesterday I was really going out doing my shadow boxing and really, I mean, I, I pushed it. But today, I'm 48. Unfortunately, I just need to, uh, my body needs to uh, recuperate and it didn't. But so this morning I did something different. But when I finished, I felt better than when I started. Yeah. Then I went shopping. I'm thinking about what I'm going to prepare. You know, and doing these little things like that, this little, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cook a, a beautiful uh, lamb um, because I wanted to do a curry goat because fruitcake, my partner wanted some curry goats, but I couldn't find any goats. So I got some lamb. So I'm going to cook this beautiful curry lamb, but I'm not going to make it with the traditional rice and peas. I'm going to make it with fresh tagliatelle. It's going to be like rasta pasta. <laughs> and that's going to be delicious. I'm going to make my pasta myself. It's very easy to do. And so, you know, I, I need to create a little bit of pleasure. You know, I, I, you know, we have to create pleasure from scratch. Yeah. And the pleasures that we're going to get are coming from the small things. Little acts of kindness, maybe having an aperitif, um, just little things to show to people that we care and that we are there and that we mean well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is the key, really. Uh, and, and when you mean well, and, and it's about showing it. You know, when, when you run a, a restaurant, I was teaching my staff in the restaurant, you know, when people come to the restaurant, they've got to know they've arrived. And therefore, I want you to see, smile, and say hello to people before they see, smile, and say hello to you. Because it's our job to be charming first, because yeah. they're coming to our place. Once you do that, people know that they've arrived. And the same principle uh, apply in the home. Uh, with your wife, with your children, with the people that you love, calling your parents or calling your, your auntie and uncles, your friends. You know, it's, let's, it's up to us to make the first step. Because, you know, sometimes we always want somebody to make the first step because we, we think that they owe it to us. But no, we shouldn't do that. We should make the first step. We should be giving first. Because when you give first and you give generously, people will be receptive to this and they will like it and they will give it back to you. You don't do it because you want people to give it back to you. You do it because it's the right thing. It's the only thing to do. And if you do that, then people will be inspired by it in return. And this is just a win-win. And this is going to make the world a better place at the end. I really believe that. It's, I'm a firm believer in this. Well said, man. Well Absolutely. Said. Do it from the heart. That's where it's going to come from, as you say. All from the heart. That's it. That's it. And if you're a bad person, you've got to change. Fred, you just mentioned fruitcake exactly. a couple of times there. We know that you're getting married, yes. so congratulations on that. Thank you. However, are you a little nervous? Because I know that you've put Gino De Campo in charge of his stag do. Are you a little nervous about that? No, I'm, she's nervous. I'm not nervous at all. I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're going to do everything. <laughs> and I mean everything. That sounds good fun. That sounds good fun. Can we film it? It's got to be filmed. No. It has to be. There'll be no phones, there'll be no cameras, there'll be nothing. Quite right. That's how it should be. How much are you enjoying the TV show? Because it's coming across really well. Obviously, we're seeing it. Obviously, everything that you filmed in America with Gordon and Gino. 
we've obviously spoken to Gordon on a couple of occasions and he's going to be on the podcast soon. We'd love to get Gino on as well. It just seems like it's three lads, three good friends, having a whale of a time in America. Listen, when I left, when we left, when the last day we were in Texas, I cried. I cried because it was just, I can't tell you how beautiful it was and how overwhelming finishing that month road trip was because it was just the most beautiful thing I've done in my life. And I turned around and I said to Gordon and Gino, you know what, I could die now. Because it was just this powerful. And in fact, we had a meeting with ITV about four weeks ago to discuss a series before all this started with COVID-19. And I said to them, guys, you know, I'm not sure I want to go again. I said, well, Fred, why? I said, because it was so good. You don't understand how good it was. I can't explain to you how good it was. I, yeah. I cannot explain to you how amazing it was. And I said, we had such a good time. I don't want to risk having a time that is not as good next time. I just want it again like this because that was just perfect. It was a 10 out of 10. You couldn't get any better than this. And, you know, we're so lucky. I mean, we, we've been around America, been around Mexico. We've, we've met some wonderful people. We did some incredible things. I mean, literally incredible things that you cannot do in your lifetime. And we got to do them. And we had fun and we partied every day like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> and um, I want to do it again. I can't wait to go back. That's your stag do. Just film that and make, and make that the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> were, were, were there any stories, Fred, that, did, that, that didn't make the air? Any, any good stories that you, could, you, that you couldn't broadcast? Frank, I couldn't tell you <laughs> on this podcast. I know Gordon. I know Gordon. I know Gordon. Are you listen, we had such a good time. This week we're in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, when we finished San Francisco and we left San Francisco for Texas, I said to Gordon and Gino, guys, if we get away with what we've done in San Francisco, we're going to get away with murder for the next series because this is just nuts. <laughs> so uh, you watch it and you tell me what you think because uh, it was completely mad. I don't know if you saw last week's episode, Frank, but um, Fred and Gino were, were, were stalkers yeah. giving Gordon's mum a cuddle. Oh, you know no, what I mean? It was brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. Is and Gordon's a good friend. I've known Gordon for a long, long time. He's he's coming on. Uh, with I think we got him on um, next week or the week after. He's doing yeah, the podcast. Yeah. But he's, I bet you do not stop laughing. I, I should think it's the best, the best laugh ever. Oh, that was great, Frank. I mean, from this moment we left, because I, Gordon was already in the states. Me and Gino, we flew together, and then we arrived and we met him in Las Vegas. And uh, we arrived in Las Vegas and we started partying. <laughs> and that was that and I woke up 30 days later <laughs> well done Love it. when we came back from America to come down from that trip mentally it took me about three weeks yeah but where I was it was I was kind of walking on I don't know on on clouds it was just like it was not normal I mean, I've done lots of shoots, I've been away a lot, you know, met lots of people, but going in this condition and doing what we did, this is just, um, yeah, not something I've done before. I mean, you, you couldn't imagine. You, you'd have to do it. Well, you're going to have to do, obviously, another series. You've got, the, you've got the stag do coming up, but professionally, what's next? What can we expect you to do next? Well, I've got a few things in the pipeline, but everything has been postponed at the moment because of COVID-19. So, um, Remarkable Places to Eat, my uh, travel travel and uh, restaurant series has been postponed. That's on BBC Two. 
um, Step Up to the Plate, uh, which is a series where we teach kids how to run restaurants um, on CBBC, has been um, uh, postponed too. Uh, series two of Snack Masters has been postponed. And uh, another couple of things as well has been postponed. So at the moment, everything is up in the air. I'm like everybody else. I'm waiting for this COVID-19 to go away and uh, to start again. So, look, I really don't know how long this is going to last or, or, or what. As soon as we can uh, safely go back to work, we will start again, that's for sure. And um, because it's going to be... It's going to be a strange time for channels um, because a lot of the series that would normally go on television very soon uh, within the next few months are not going to go on television because they haven't yeah. been filmed. And so there's going to be lots of holes in the schedule and um, uh, they, they're going to have to think about what they do and how they do it because uh, otherwise there's going to be nothing to watch on television. Yeah. Exactly. So you've become a proper love guru. So we're all in isolation. Right, so we want what tips can you share with us on the podcast just for staying romantic? Right, so cooking, I think that cooking is important yep. because you know, um, we understand the world through our senses, you know, uh, what we smell, what we eat, what we see, what we hear, and 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 this is how we 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 make sense of what's going on, and this is how we we enjoy life and we get pleasure. So, eating is very important. Now, even if you're not a chef, you can cook great things. All you need is the will. Just like we were talking about the discipline and getting fit and uh, boxing, it's about that discipline and the will to do it. So there are recipes everywhere, online or in books. And uh, all one needs to do is to follow a recipe. So cooking nice food and thinking about what one is going to cook. And you don't have to have elaborate ingredients or have to have thousands of ingredients in a recipe. You can make very good food very simply. Get a bottle of wine, um, maybe prepare a bath for your partner, maybe have a, a, a date in bed with a bottle of champagne, you know, and put the kids to bed if you have any kids, or, and, and maybe prepare a little picnic inside your bed. <laughs> and that would be good, quite fun. So I think that it's about our imagination and, and thinking about it. So as much as we think about work or we think about going for a run or this or that, if you focus your mind on being romantic and doing something that your partner will like, things will come up because that's the way we are as human beings. That's the way the brain works. And if you start thinking about what can I do that she will like, that he will like, how can I make that person happy? And then you have to think about them, of course, what they like, what kind of person they are. And then you come up with your things that are specific to your partner and it will work. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll be on that tonight. Be <laughs> tonight. You, I just hope, so she, likes bees on, I hope she likes beans, beans on toast and a brown owl. Oh, come on, Frank. Beans on toast, come on. Beans on the no, you, know, you know me better you know than that. <laughs> you know me better than that, Fred. I like my food. <laughs> and, and and Adam, you know what you could do for, to make your wife happy? Go for it. You print a picture of me and you put it on top of your face. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should start doing now. Think about it, Adam. We should, Adam, sideline, we should make some masks. We should do some of those masks. We can get into that business. <laughs> That's it. And you say, look at me. In, and you speak like that. You know, you speak like that. Look at me in the eyes, darling. And uh, kiss me. And that, that's, that's the one, darling. It's not darling. It. It's darling. That's Robin that's going it. wrong all these years. That's it. It's going to work. 
<laughs> Fred, well, you've been done. brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, pal. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and a real honour to be on your show, uh, Frank. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an honour for me, Fred, and really appreciated, mate. And uh, and wish you all the best for the future. And I hope these series that you're getting done will start filming soon, so that we can see more of you on the box. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Superstar. See you Take in the box. Care, guys. Have Fred. a nice afternoon. Here we go. Bye bye. Told you it was good. Fred Siriex, brilliant. Loads of deep thinking and a lot of fun. Top guy. Thank you so much for listening. If it's the first time you've ever come across us, you can subscribe. iTunes is where you should hit the button. Please write us a five-star review as well. It helps us with our visibility in the iTunes charts. And you can also get us on Acast. As Frank alluded to there, there's a couple more big names coming to join us over the next couple of weeks, one of which is Fred's mate Gordon. So make sure you're around for that by subscribing and you'll never miss out on any of the interviews we bring you. We'll catch you next time.